ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and today's topic is about women in leadership. And the book that we're going to be talking about today is called The New Advantage, How Women in Leadership Can Create Win-Wins for Their Companies and for Themselves. And our guest today is author Joelle J. Joelle, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Joelle, I, I know that you have co-authored uh, this. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about your, yourself and then uh, talk a little bit about your co-author and then we'll dive in and talk about the book. Absolutely. So I am an executive coach as well as a speaker and author, and I specialize in the advancement of executive women. Uh, one of the ways that I got into this is I um, had my own business. I was a solopreneur for many years, as well as a mother of two boys who, when I began, were little ones and now are getting bigger and bigger every day into tweens <laughs> and teenagers. Um, so as I am writing about executive women and how they can advance themselves in their organizations and achieve the goals that they have, um, at the same time I'm learning every day you know, how to make all of the richness of life fit into the time in the day myself. Um, right. My co-author, Howard Morgan, is also an executive coach as well as a managing partner of the Leadership Research Institute, which is a global leadership development firm. And so together, what we wanted to do was to be able to contribute to the conversation about you know, how we always are thinking about how we help leaders to be more successful. But in this book, we wanted to especially look at are there things that make it particularly either challenging or are particularly important for women to move forward? Because we know that's an area where we've experienced some challenges in the past. Right, right. So when you were a solopreneur, were you coaching at that time or did you have another business? Well, my, my first job, I was a ninth grade English teacher in Gardnerville, Nevada and went through a midlife crisis at 30 where I you know, realized that I wanted a new profession and was looking for other ways of contributing you know, to leaders outside of education. And that led me to executive coaching. And so right from the beginning when I started my own business, I was an executive coach from the beginning and found it to be so helpful that it's what I continue to do today. Very interesting. And I'm looking back at, at some of the other books that you have been involved in and I'm seeing one called Baby on Board, Becoming a Mother Without Losing Yourself, which, uh, you know, I remember uh, I became a mother uh, way late in life. Uh, I had my daughter when I was 40 and then we adopted uh, our son when I was almost 46. So, you know, now I find myself in my late 50s and, you know, going to my son's high school football game tonight and yes. uh, on next Sunday leaving uh, to take my daughter uh, to school at the University of Warsaw in Poland. So, uh, yeah, so so motherhood and being uh, – I've been an entrepreneur and a solopreneur uh, for a very long time. I've had my consulting firm for 20 years. And the radio show, you know, has been kind of an outgrowth of that. So uh, I, I am radio show host 
uh, by choice and not not uh, as an avocation, but uh, I, I'm a strategic consultant uh, as well. And, you know, there's a fair bit of coaching that comes uh, out of that. But I, I have such a high regard for those of you who have made it your life's work uh, to coach and make other leaders stronger, and particularly, uh, you know, those who have focused on helping women really sometimes get over themselves, right, and the barriers that they they put up for themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, it's always fun to hear the title of that book, and especially the subtitle, um, Becoming a Mother Without Losing Yourself. And I think since then, I've identified that that really is so essential for women. And my my subsequent book, which is called The Inner Edge, is really about becoming a leader without losing yourself. And in a way, you can look at this book as becoming an executive without losing yourself. Right. You know, it's just being able to continually go after your professional goals and dreams, achieving right. what you want to achieve while also living the life that you want to live. Right. And and I think that there's another one after that, which will be, you know, how to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, because you know I'm in the midst of that now. I'm I'm a, a serial entrepreneur, and so I'm always starting something new. And I've got multiple things uh, going on, including you know publishing a new book myself. So, uh, but I just came back from a meeting uh, with one of my benefactors, who's actually going to be supporting the publishing of of my new book. And we were talking about that, about how how do you not lose yourself. Um, and and how do you maintain your um, your self confidence? And I think of myself as an amazingly self confident person. But we were having this you know very deep discussion about uh, our physical selves. And uh, this woman I was having breakfast with, uh, you know, has just uh, she didn't really need to lose a lot of weight, but she has gotten like super healthy. And I was mm. commenting on her skin and how great she looked, and then realizing how bad I felt about my myself because I've gained a whole bunch of weight and I really, you know, have got to take control of that. And, you know, these are just some of the things I think that women battle uh, more so than men, not that men don't don't uh, also want that. But, you know, moving forward in, in leadership, uh, one of the things I've recognized in, in when we had this show focused on executive women is that we really are that whole person, right? We aren't just the person who walks into the boardroom or, you know, in, into an executive meeting and, you know, has command of everything. Maybe we had a fight with our husband or we were mean to our kids or whatever. So uh, anyway, uh, I wanted to give you that perspective before we dove into the meat of this particular book, which is really about uh, being an effective leader and, and really creating this win-win environment, which more than anything to me is a culture. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. And so when you think about this theme that we've just been tossing back and forth about losing yourself, my experience coaching both men and women is that that is a more prevalent theme for women. There are tremendous demands on women in terms of their time, emotionally, we tend to be in the center of our family relationships, relied upon by our children and our parents and in-laws as well, um, oftentimes holding the home front together, as well as going after you know, the professional goals and dreams that we have. And culturally, that is different than the experience of a man. And so right. certainly men have their own challenges that are unique to them that women don't experience. So that's in no way do I mean to diminish that. Um, but at this 
point, um, what Howard and I were really looking at was how do you navigate that as a woman? You know, if right. you and are in, a, in an organization with a different kind of culture, what does that mean for it. you? You know, I'm really interested. You, you start the book off uh, by actually giving, you know, kind of Howard's perspective and your perspective on this whole thing. And, um, you know, without having him on the phone, uh, perhaps you can just give us a synopsis of, you know, was this book an eye-opener for him? Or did he go into this thinking, you know, he really knew this whole, uh, you know, female attitudes about leadership and, and what they were dealing with? Uh, did he get any uh, aha moments? Absolutely. We both did. So the way that we approached this book was it occurred to us that we both coached both men and women, and we could see that there were important distinctions to make. And so our idea was to isolate the themes that we thought were most important to address and then, and then do two things, or three. One of them was to actually interview senior-level executives on these themes, which we did. This, this book is a culmination of a five-year qualitative research study in which we interviewed over 100 senior-level executives, presidents, vice presidents, C-level executives in Fortune 500 companies, both men and women. And we did, of course, the research in the, um, to go with that. So that was part one. But part two was I wanted the opportunity as a woman to comment on the themes and Howard wanted the opportunity as a man to comment on those same themes. And so we would have these conversations in which we would review the interview data, and we would review the research, and then I would get weigh in, and then he would weigh in. And very often, those turned into fascinating conversations. Oh, I learned a tremendous amount from hearing a man's perspective on some of the things that women are challenged by. And many times, Howard would learn something about what it's like to be a woman in leadership that he had not experienced or had not thought of um, in the way that I had or that the women that we interviewed had. So it was absolutely eye-opening for both of us and continues to be. Right, right. Well, you know, and it's so um, – I I've talked about this before on the show, how we go through our careers and we watch people from afar, and we don't – understand their backstory. And one of the themes of the book that I just wrote was was about how there's such power in learning the backstories of the people that that we are around and in particular those who rub us the wrong way. Hmm. Right? Because invariably there's something that connects us that allows us to get past that thing. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm very interested in the he said, she said, uh, you know, approach that you guys took because, um, you know, when I've taken time to step back and learn somebody's backstory, and, and whether it's a man or a woman, um, you know, all of a sudden your perspective does change. And it's, it's that, you know, stopping the talking long enough to listen and, and to listen to what, what's going on in their world. That idea of backstory is just very helpful, and it's a nice framework for thinking about why Howard's and my conversations were so productive and how men and women can learn to understand more about each other. So to give you one example, Howard made a comment once about how sometimes men will underestimate the contributions of women because they see the women leaving early, so they think that they're not as committed. I had <laughs> never heard that, to be perfectly honest. I, I right. It never occurred to me that that was the impression that women might be making 
when they are doing things that are obligations on the part of their family. Um, and so for him to hear the backstory of what's going on there, or, or not just Howard, but more importantly, the managers or the senior level leaders who have women on their team to understand the backstory of why might a woman be leaving earlier? And by the same token, what is the backstory of a man in that organization? How do they see, see things differently? What are the pressures that they have? Getting right. to know those backstories would go a long way toward helping shape a culture in a corporate setting that accommodates all kinds of realities. Oh, completely. And, you know, I mean, that one in particular of the woman leaving early, uh, and if you don't hear the backstory of after, uh, you know, she gets home after her very long day and still has to get dinner on the table and make sure the kids do their homework and, you know, get everybody to bed and, you know, feed the cat and and then sit down and do two hours of email and, you know, the things that she, uh, you know, didn't do because it wasn't a particular time priority during the business day, but it still needed to get done, right, and that she's getting to bed <laughs> at midnight and, you know, the alarm is going off at 5.30 to start it all over again, right? So you don't see what people are doing when they're, when they're not in front of you. That's right. One of the things that we encourage women to do is to get very clear and educated about their own results so that they can move the conversation away from I'm at my desk when you are to right. these are the kinds of results that I get. And by the way, they're on par with everyone else on this team or excelling. And right. so it's incumbent upon women to be able to articulate that and to have some courage in revealing those kinds of results. Many organizations are good at this, and some professions are good at this. So if you're a saleswoman, in an organization where the numbers are broadcast, it's very easy to see who's doing well, um, who right. meets their quotas, who doubles their, their sales, those kinds of things. But if you're in a profession where that is less visible, one of the ways that women can give themselves an advantage is by learning to capture and articulate the results that they get. And that really helps to combat some of those stereotypes about whether women are, you know, as available as men or as committed as men, right. um, but really maybe equally all of the above. Yeah, committed, you know, and that, that leads actually right, right into the chapter, uh, which is your first chapter in the book, about uh, networking. And, and uh, you call it the networking advantage. And, you know, again, we were just talking uh, in, in my breakfast meeting this morning about how, um, you know, women just are, are so good at giving that they aren't great at asking for help. And, and uh, I was giving the analogy that uh, actually uh, was made famous in, in a book by uh, Bob Berg um, called The Go-Giver, which says, you know, you can't get great at giving until you learn how to receive. And so networking is really asking people, um, you know, to – to be aware of what it is that you have to offer and to tell them where they can help you, right? And, and again, if, if they can then turn around and articulate, here are the things I do well and here's how I could potentially help you. And I, I think we're just not trained to do that. And men seem to be so much better 
uh, at that that piece of networking, which is, hey, do you know somebody who can help me do such and such? And and they they have absolutely no shame or fear about doing that. And uh, you know, and then again, you know, they'll say, hey, I did such and such last week, and if I could ever help you with that. And 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 they don't see it as bragging or or you know, as sometimes we women do. Right. So it, it turns out that men and women according to the research that's been done, really do approach networking differently. And my belief is that there are advantages to the way that men network and there are advantages to the way that women network. And there are strengths that men bring and there are strengths that women bring. Um, so one of the things that we do in the book is lay out, you know, here's where women naturally excel and here's where they could do more. And you could reverse that and have the same advice for men. And one of the places where women excel is in developing relationships. So good at that. Giving, as you know, to your point, being willing to help people, helping to make connections. Women are really, really good at these kinds of things naturally. And I'm stereotyping, of course, um, but just, again, from the, the history and the research, these are the kinds of things that women are known to be more natural with, culturally speaking, than right. men. On the other hand, where they could stretch and give themselves a greater advantage is in the areas that you're pointing to. So can you then also leverage the relationships that you've built in order to accomplish something of importance to you? Um, you know, can you make an ask clearly? Can you tell people what you have to offer um, more proactively so that they see you in a role that you want to play? And right. so in all these ways, women can take advantage of their natural strengths, but also give themselves an advantage by growing into some of those more, um, those areas that don't come as naturally to them personally, but, you know, could really make a difference. Right. So, so which one is better at connecting to influencers? Well, I don't know if I can comment on which one is better at connecting to influencers, but my my counsel to all leaders is to think about their network in terms of the influencers. There is some data that shows because men, according to the numbers, have advanced farther than women, right? 85% um, of the executives in corporate America are men. And if they have natural, strong relationships with other men, because they both tend to network in the same way and it's a comfortable fit, then naturally men are going to develop more relationships with influencers because they have that natural network around them, whereas women are more in the position of having to break in um, but for both men and women, it's important to be very cognizant of who is in your network. And if right. your network, your network may be diverse and broad, but if it is not also powerful, it's actually not that valuable. So it's right. important to think about, do you have powerful relationships with influencers? Who are those influencers and how are those relationships helpful? That's advice that I would give to all women to be thinking about for sure. Right, and and I've just this past week been playing around a bit with with LinkedIn's um, sales tool, and you know it's part of their their premium subscription, but it gives you uh, a different level of visibility into how connected your network is and who they know who they could potentially in, in introduce you to. Or for instance, this week I was looking at, at a particular individual and saw that he was on the board of a performing arts center. Well, I happen to need a performing arts center uh, 
to pilot my, my new product. And so I realized that even though that's not my world, that there are people that I'm uh, connected to who have that sphere of influence because they're volunteering on a board or, you know, whatever that is. So, you know, I think technology is going to help us become better at that. Um, but I, I'd like to move on to the next one. Uh, and, and this is one, again, we've had so many discussions in the various women's groups that I participate in uh, about life balance and balancing our personal lives and our interests and even taking care of ourselves, right, with our leadership responsibilities. And so the question here that was posed was, how do you succeed without the stress? And, and again, do, do men just ignore it and women get more wrapped up in it? Or, you know, what, what is the whole thing about stress and life balance? Mm-hmm. So Bill and Melinda Gates put out a Gates letter every year that you may be familiar with so that lays out their priorities for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, which is really intending to make a significant measurable impact in the world in some of its greatest challenges. And in Melinda Gates' letter this year, she said if she could give women any superpower, it would be time. That time is the thing that women mm. need in order to achieve their potential. She threw out a statistic that women spend an average of four hours a day with unpaid work. So that unpaid work may be child care, home care, running errands, the kinds of things that just culturally and historically fall more to women than men. And so that is a very real statistic. And what I find helpful about that is it validates for women. You know, this is not about you not being able to balance everything because it, you know, you haven't figured that out yet, you actually do have more to do. You actually do have less time to do it in. And except for so on Saturdays. what do you do about that? <laughs> What's that? I said except for on Saturdays, uh, the balance in our household shifts to my husband. And Good. he's got his very long list of, uh, and they aren't to-dos I've given him. He gives them to himself. Uh, but those things that naturally fall to men. But but I totally agree with you, and and um, you know certainly have seen that in my own life over the last couple of years. And I I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years, and uh, my husband actually worked for me uh, for uh, about 13 years of that. And then about five years ago, he had the audacity to go out and get a job. And he was he was uh, 60 years old at the time and now is in this sales job where he travels all over the place. And I all of a sudden had to become the mom. He had been Mr. Mom, you know, for many years. <laughs> and so I, I have actually only recently become familiar with all of uh, those things that have to be done because I had the benefit of having my husband who did them for so many years. But uh you're right. You know, we do bear more. Um, and and um, can you share with us a little bit about how men and women deal with stress differently? Um, you know, what what was your find about succeeding, uh, you know, despite that stress? Well, my experience with this comes largely from coaching men and women for the last 15 or 16 years, you know, really understanding how do men and women view their lives and how do they make everything fit and the, the the specific ways that people express or experience the stress of that um, is, is just as diverse as each individual what resolves the stress though is a, a few things one is very good practical concrete ideas for how to 
make things fit. And that may sound so simplistic, but a lot of times people will spin their wheels. You know, they're stressing internally about how to get everything done and so they just try, right. try, try, go faster, 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 when actually what helps a lot more is to communicate. Communicate to your partner. Communicate to your manager or your peers or your friends. Here's where I'm finding, you know, the, the challenge of making things fit and let people give you their ideas and hear about how people resolve these things. You're such a great example of this, Chicky, when you talk about your husband. So you and he have a division of labor that works for your family. Every family needs to have those conversations. Um, you know, if, if there are four extra hours of work to be done, which part's mine? Which part's yours? Is the assumption right. that I'm going to do it all? Are we okay with that? Is there a better way? Could we bring in some help? Um, so that's one way that people can reduce the stress is by talking about what they're experiencing with other people with the intention of finding better solutions. There are other strategies as well, um, things like aligning your personal and your professional goals, you know, trying to get to a place where what you're doing professionally fuels you, fulfills you, and therefore helps bring you energy, which can help you to be creative and joyous in the rest of your life as well, and vice versa. That reduces some of the stress. Um, good decision-making about what really are the priorities you should have and the responsibilities that are yours versus the responsibilities that are not yours and, and refusing right. to pick those up, um, to, which just adds to the stress. So there are lots <laughs> of things that women and men can do right. to get a better balance. Got it. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the sponsorship advantage. Uh, this this is one that I actually love of finding people uh, really to be your champions. Um, and and so what are some strategies of how women can, first of all, identify who who could be their champion? And, and this woman I met with this morning, that was precisely the point of that meeting. I needed her in my camp mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, worked out some things that where I had some things that, that would benefit her. And clearly, I mean, there are many uh, ways that, that she can benefit me. But what are what are some specific ways that women can use that sponsorship advantage? Well, let's start by defining sponsorship. This term is something that is still fairly recent. Um, you know, if you look across the research and literature on women in leadership, the idea of sponsorship surfaced when researchers started to discover that there was an advantage men had that women did not, and that was in those powerful, influential relationships. We talked about this earlier. Um, so it's not necessarily that men develop those relationships easier, better, in some magical way. It's just they're in the setting more because right. there are more men who are influencers. And so it turns out that the term sponsorship means someone who will advocate on your behalf will actually take action to promote you, advance you, give you opportunities. Um, distinguish that, for example, from a mentor. Um, mentors are essential. And the more mentors you have, the better off you'll be. But mentors often are about helping you grow, develop into a bigger version of yourself. That's a whole lot different than throwing your name out and saying to a senior executive team, here's a woman I think we should consider for this very big role. Right. Um, so, So that's important to distinguish between sponsorship and mentorship and really the first step. Got it. 
And and so that kind of leads into the next discussion as well of how do you know that you're perceived as a leader and somebody who can be recommended for promotion or a significant project? Uh, and this you call the executive presence advantage. People who have presence have an advantage in the business world. And when I say executive presence, there's a a whole image that goes with that. You know, partly there's a piece of it that's visual and superficial, but it really has much more to do with your energy and your intention, your confidence, your sense of authority. Are you someone who could walk into a room with confidence and a message, who has something to contribute that improves the business at hand? And can you play that role with just as much gravitas and import as everyone else at the table? Again, this is something that women have not had the opportunity to develop to the extent that men have simply by virtue of not having been on the executive committees and in the C-level roles. Now women do fill those roles, um, maybe not in the numbers that they will in the future, but there is an understanding that executive presence means you see yourself as a leader and you expect other people to see that too. Right, right. Well, and I, I think that, uh, again, plays into the next one, which is the performance advantage. How do you outperform your highest expectations? And then also circling back to what you said earlier about when your performance is good, learning how to tell that story in a way that other people do see those achievements. And, and so talk to us a little bit about the performance advantage. So one of the things that we have learned in the research is that men – tend to be promoted on potential, whereas women have to show performance. You can see this in our presidential candidates now. Yes. You can see how people respond to a man versus a woman, and without getting into the politics of that, just objectively observing, um, there is a requirement placed on women to be able to prove that they've done the job before they are able to advance in title or role or responsibility, right. or even salary. Whereas men, again, according to research, really you know, are sort of pulled up. You know, Oh, he'll be great at this job. <laughs> right. right? And so it's important for women to know that because it means you have to get really good at the performance piece. A lot of times when I interview executives on this, what they'll say is performance is table stakes. You know, if you don't have the performance, if you don't have the metrics, if you're not achieving, then you're not even – Consider like the the rest of it sort of isn't even relevant to the executive presence and the sponsorship. You have to be able to perform. Right, right, so, and, that, and that that was the point I was just about to make. That if yes. if you don't have that, then the next one, which is the recognition advantage, doesn't even matter. So how do you get your achievements noticed? Well, you have to have measurable uh, results and and be able to talk about outperforming. Uh, you know, in my world as a consultant, and and we quite often do large projects like my company builtlasvegas.com, and so you know the performance there is you know on time under budget, right? Right. And and just the fact that we were selected over companies like Accenture and other you know major companies. So learning how to tell that story and get that recognition, I really think is something women need to work on really hard. So so tell us a little bit about your findings there. Yep. Um, well, so to, to finish the thought on the performance piece, 
because women have so many multiple competing priorities, and there are lots of things that are important to us, um, it's easy sometimes for the performance piece to slide down on the priority list. And I think what um, partly our message is, is make sure that that's first. Whereas compared to women, men sometimes prioritize their results over everything else. And, and there are problems with that as well. But it's just a reminder that you've got to be laser focused on what it is you're expected to accomplish. What is the performance you're driving towards? When you know that, then you can move into getting it recognized. So right. you know what to showcase. And that can be very natural. Um, a lot of times women will tell me that they don't feel comfortable sort of um, taking credit for things. They want to credit their whole team, which I think is a, a wonderful value and a principle of leadership that we should have more of, you know, understanding the contributions of everyone on a team. But the reality is it, there's also a place for you to say, here's what I accomplished. You know, I'm, I'm proud right. of the fact that our team, uh, you know, under my leadership has gone after a such and such result and we achieved that. And let's build from there. But ha saying those words and not letting them go unstated is critical. Um, there's an example we give. My firm works with a, a law firm, an international law firm in New York, and we had two lawyers who were up for partner. And I asked them, you know, what, what do you see as the value you bring to your firm? And one of them said, well, um, let's see. You know, I, I went to an Ivy League school, so I have a, you know, really strong education. I've got a great client list and, you know, I have really good relationships with our clients. Um, and I think most people would agree that I am a leader in the firm. And I thought, well, now that's just fine. I'm glad about that. And what about you, other other person? What What's the value that you bring <laughs> to the firm? And he said, I won 14 out of my last 15 cases. He knew what his results were. Right. He knew how to tell the story. And in one sentence, he delivered. And in that moment, he came across as the partner. Yes. Even though the woman he was sitting next to was equally qualified and may, in fact, have been a better lawyer. So it's the ability to identify and articulate that story that is the separate skill, not just the performance, but also the ability to talk about it. Well, and, and to your point in the next chapter, to actually turn those accomplishments into career advancement. And, you know, clearly if you don't know where you want to go, you can't even make sure that you're getting the right accomplishments, right, that are going to get you there. Right. And, you know, to me personally, this is sort of the secret to happiness. Um, and this is a conversation I, I love to have with women. Um, I ask men, you know, what's important to you in your success and achievement? And they always answer two things, money and power. So what does it mean to advance? You get promoted with a higher salary bump. But for women, it's much more than that. There are so many mm -hmm. things that contribute to the richness of life and that to us mean advancement. Sometimes that advancement means a title and a salary but sometimes it means the opportunity to have more flexibility in your day. You've earned that. Or sometimes it means the opportunity to do something different than you've done in the past because it fits more with this stage of your life. Maybe it means the opportunity to lead a team that you haven't done before because that's what you love doing. And so in no way do I want to diminish the value of advancing in your career path 
but it's also understanding that you get to define what advancement looks like. And if you can do that, then you won't be held to a standard that's not a good fit for you. You'll really be creating the kind of life you want for yourself. Right. So, you know, moving on from that, um, you then uh, proceed to talk about, um, hang on one second, I lost my uh, my screen that I was looking at. You know, I'm giving away my secrets that I that I use my screen as a prompt. <laughs> yes, well, the, the advantage that we talk about after we talk about advancement is feedback. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> And the reason that we include feedback is because in every one of the advantages we've talked about so far, feedback is an engine that will help you drive towards better results. Got it. Got it. And and so getting people to give you feedback, and, and again, I think as, as women – um, you know, we are comfortable being on the giving end of that and perhaps a little less comfortable uh, about being on the receiving end of feedback. But you had mentioned uh, the combination of both the mentoring and the sponsorship, and it, it tends to be more of a mentoring role of getting somebody who we trust um, to actually give us uh, real unadulterated feedback. And, and sometimes we can take that much more easily than we can from somebody that we report directly to. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned something earlier on that I want to um, call back. You asked, how do you know if you have executive presence, for example? And you could ask the same of almost all of the advantages. How do you know if you're being recognized? How do you know if you're performing at a level that's you know, overachieving what people expect? It comes from feedback, and women do not get as much or as honest feedback as men. Again, this is, you know, research shows us that men are more comfortable and willing to give men the hard feedback, um, and it can be so direct. It's, again, a cultural thing where a, a guy might say to a guy, hey, dude, don't do that thing again. It didn't work. And the other guy goes, <laughs> right. okay. Right? Whereas for a woman, in a corporate setting, sometimes feedback is just fraught with all kinds of extra baggage, whether they're aware of it or not. So, for example, men have learned over the years that there are some things that they can't say. They're going to get in trouble if they comment on certain things. If they say right. it wrong, they can get skewered, and so they're very cautious. Again, I'm generalizing, but it does hinder a woman if she's not able to get honest feedback. And right. so... The way that women can take control of this and turn feedback into an advantage for them is to go after that feedback and insist upon it. Make it safe for people to give you feedback. Ask right. for it directly. Assure people that you really want to know the cold, hard truth, and then show yourself to be someone who puts that feedback to use, someone who wants to learn. And then, then you can generate more and more feedback so that you really understand, here's who I am now. Here's what's expected of me, and here's what I need to rise to that occasion. That can be right. a tremendous advantage for any woman in any leadership position. Well, and it gets back to that executive presence of, of actually uh, taking a very mature view of looking at what, what you might perceive to be your flaws or, or those areas where you can improve, but really showing that you can take that and, and to move forward. Well, it's one of the reasons I love executive coaching. Um, executive coaching is an extremely supportive, customized, personalized, really, 
um, process where people can get objective feedback and interpret it accurately, then work towards that feedback in a very safe and very positive, productive, professional kind of way. Um, and I, I highly recommend executive coaching for that reason, so that people can move forward um, and not be held back by feedback that may be given poorly. So what I have seen that is tremendously ineffective in executive coaching for both men and women is occasionally they will receive feedback and whether it's because of the way the feedback is delivered or the personal way that people receive it, they can become distracted and, and sometimes just crushed by feedback. And it can actually be career limiting because you just aren't able to objectively see, oh, I got all this feedback. I'm not going to pay attention to this part, but this piece is really critical <laughs> and I'm going to work on that. And off you go to work on it. You know, if you can't make that switch and move forward with it, um, you know, that's going to be a drawback for you. Right. And, and then you talk about the awareness advantage and, and talking about breaking through the bias. And, and where does that bias originate? Well, if we really wanted to do justice to this topic, we would have to start at the top of the hour. Um, it is such an important topic. But the, the awareness advantage for women is about understanding that there are, there's bias everywhere. There's bias built into the way organizations are structured. There's bias in the way people perceive other people. There's bias in the way that jobs are structured and policies are written. And that is something that organizations need to address, and they are. But where women can give themselves an advantage is to understand what those biases are. So to give you an example, one of the women that we interviewed gave an, a story about when her boss, um, she had wanted to go to a conference that was in, let's say, Geneva. And, and she was a very senior executive, senior vice president or executive vice president. And she told her boss's assistant, you know, this is the conference I plan to go to. Could you set up the travel for me, make the arrangements? And the assistant said, well, I'll have to check with the boss because he doesn't let women travel by themselves. So really? if she had not had that conversation, she would never have known that she was being left out of important opportunities because of that man's well-intentioned, protective nature. Um, so it's an example of how invisible bias can be, and it's why I think women need to educate themselves so that they can say and have the conversation that she had subsequently, which was actually, you know, let me talk to him myself, and she did. And even though he said, you know, I just, you know, I consider it, you know, part of my responsibility to make sure everyone on my team, you know, is et cetera. And, and he had old-fashioned values around that. And um, right. she was able to give him a, a different perspective, and she went to the conference uh, without the male escort. And so... It, but if women do not educate themselves and create that awareness for themselves, they can't advocate for themselves either. Wow. Wow, that's a powerful story. Well, so, you know, and I have to comment that mm -hmm. lest it be misunderstood, it's not something that happened 25 years ago way in her history in the 60s or 70s. This was someone right. on Wall Street in 2015. So these things happen every day, and it's really important not to be um, – deceived by the progressiveness of modern life, but to understand there really are plenty of biases that women need to be aware of and overcome for themselves. 
Right. So, you know, as as we look back over what we have covered, uh, you know, over the course of uh, the last 30, 40 minutes, we've talked about networking, we've talked about balance, about sponsorship, uh, having that executive presence advantage, the performance and recognition, which leads right into the advancement advantage, and then getting feedback, and, and now this concept of, of really being aware of what's going on around us. So, you know, it's logical that, that the conclusion to the book is about getting to the next level and, and having uh, balanced leadership uh, and really so that the entire business uh, can improve. And, and you started out uh, with the book having uh, the subtitle about really creating win-wins. And, and so all of this knowledge uh, about how we can be better in business um, definitely can create that win-win. But, but what is, is that catalyst for actually getting us to that next level? The most important message of the book, the one takeaway that I want all women to hear is that when women are successful in business, it's when they lead themselves. Mm. What will get you to the next level is understanding that you are the leader of your own career and that you are a leader in your business setting. And if you can take the lead in educating yourself, informing yourself, and taking action on your own behalf, you're going to go as far as you want to go in your career mm. and in your life. I love that. Well, thank you for distilling that down, Joelle. Joelle, if, if people would like to uh, get in touch with you or follow you, uh, if they would like to have you come in and, and coach their executive team, how can they best get a hold of you? I would recommend the website for The New Advantage. The website is thenewadvantagebook.com, thenewadvantagebook.com. You can find me there certainly and get in touch with me personally and Howard as well. But in addition, all of your, your audience will find two important resources that are entirely free there, and I provide them specifically so that people can get started on this important work of becoming the leader in their own careers. One of them is a self-assessment. So on that website, you can type in your name and email address, and you will be led to a self-assessment that helps you see which of these advantages are your natural strengths that you can rely on and build upon, and where are some areas that you might want to focus on more intently. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one resource that I would recommend. The other is there's an executive summary of the book. So if your audience has you know, enjoyed this interview and is learning from this interview, one thing to do in addition to buying the book is to get the executive summary and use it as a constant reminder of the different areas in which they'll want to be giving themselves a new advantage. Mm, I love it. Well, Joelle, thank you so much for giving us time on, on what uh, you shared was a very busy Friday. Uh, again, we have been talking about a book called The New Advantage, how women in leadership can create win-wins for their companies and themselves. And hint, hint, I think this is a great book for men to read as well, uh, particularly if you do have women uh, on your team. So we've been talking today to Joelle J. And next week, uh, actually the next two weeks, uh, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus from the show. I'm taking my 18-year-old daughter 
to begin her freshman year at the University of Warsaw in Poland. So uh, I will be back uh, at the end of that last week of September, and so we will dive right back in to the Game Changer series. Thank you so much for joining us, and if you'd like to know more about the Game Changer, go to thegamechanger.network, and you can listen to uh, a few of our shows without becoming a member, but we have a a number of advantages uh, if you will join us. And uh, you will be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. So thank you so much for joining us today. And have a great weekend. And go out and figure out how you can create a new advantage for yourself and change the game in your company. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald.